Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, this is the word of the Lord. Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray now that uh, as we look at this text, that we will gain a new appreciation of, of you, that we would understand another aspect of your work in our lives. Father, I pray that our hearts would just be rejoicing in praise and that the implications of these truths would um, bear fruit in our life. Father, there might be some here that cannot give praise to you for these truths because they've never believed. And I pray that the Spirit would convict their hearts and show them their need of a Savior and that today would be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may, you may be seated. Uh, last week we uh, looked at uh, 11 and 12, and we looked at this aspect of, uh, of a blessing, and, and kind of, uh, if you remember, we talked about a kid's first Christmas, when that kid has his first Christmas, and the parents have bought the gifts, and the grandparents have come, and, and they've bought all these gifts, and they bring the child out, and the, the kid's eyes, you know, they're just huge looking at the tree, and at all the uh, Christmas presents scattered everywhere. They're just, they don't even know where to start, and after a little bit of opening the presents, they, they get to a point where they're just satisfied with playing with the wrapping paper. That's, that's what they do, and they'll start eating and chewing on the wrapping paper quite content, and, and not realizing that there's all these other gifts that are wrapped up, and if they would just uh, go and keep on opening up the paper, they would find all these blessings that they could uh, use, and uh, they would see all the sacrifice of their grandparents and their parents, and uh, they could play with these things, but rather they, they get satisfied with just the, the wrapping paper. There's another situation that's kind of similar to that, and uh, May... 1988, Mikhail Gorbachev, he ended up opening the market in the Soviet Union just a little bit. He, he opened it specifically, the, the agricultural market, to have a, a free trade. And uh, the country had been, had a centralized government since November 7th, 1917, and, and they really didn't know what to do with this free market. They, they didn't uh, understand uh, what to grow, what, what to plant, uh, when to harvest it, and, and to whom to sell it to. They'd been so used to the government telling them, we need so much of we, we need so much of this, we need so much of that, and, and giving them timetables to do this, that now they had this freedom and they had the whole world to sell to that they didn't know what to do. And according to uh, the, the book uh, Post-War, written by Tony Jude, he mentions that uh, the agricultural section ended up taking a nosedive for several years because they just did not know what the world wanted. And therefore, they weren't planting and harvesting at the right time. 
Here they had this, this blessing. They could have uh, produced uh, lots and lots of money, but they didn't because they did not understand the blessing that they had. And it's like that with us. God has given us so many blessings, but many times we don't really understand the blessings that God has given us, and we entertain ourselves with earthly things rather than understanding the spiritual things that God has given us and applying it to our lives, we, we just live on a horizontal, earthly mindset. And we get satisfied with earthly things, and we pursue after earthly things because we have no way of processing what God has blessed us with. Now, we looked last week, and we saw that we must praise God because we have a true hope in Christ, and have been sealed by the Spirit. And we looked at verses 11 and 12 that we have this true hope in Christ. Uh, Christ uh, redeemed you for God. As we saw there, also we have obtained an inheritance. It's uh, we have been appointed by lot for God. God, we have been appointed by lot for God. We are His inheritance. He, he has chosen and those who are saved are his inheritance. They're his. They've been appointed for this. Well, later on we'll talk about an inheritance that the believer receives. But here the reference is that God is the recipient of this inheritance. These individuals who have been appointed, allotted. And he's been he, having predestined according to his purpose, who works things according to after the counsel of his will. He's done this. Christ redeemed you. For God. And this is an important aspect that we'll see, especially as we correlate it to verses 13 and 14. And it goes specifically with the doctrine of eternal security. A person's uh, salvation is not dependent upon themselves, but rather that they are an inheritance uh, of God. Now, who, who doesn't show up for the reading of the will? People come out of the woodwork. To, to all of a sudden, they might have not have talked to that person in years, but if they're, they're, they have an inheritance, they come out of the woodwork to listen to what they're supposed to receive. And, and they don't lose what they're supposed to receive either. They, they take it. God has an inheritance. Not only does he have an inheritance, but we also saw that our hope, our hope is in Christ, and that, that word hope has that uh, notion of a perfect, which is something that occurred in the past, it has an effect in the present. But because the word is hope, it anticipates something in the future. Our salvation should be something that happened in the past. Something that at a certain moment in time, we, we recognized our need for a Savior. At some point, we understood that we were sinners and our sins separated us from God. That we had the wrath of God upon us. And at that moment, we put our hope in Christ. That was something that happened in the past, but that past action should have an effect in the present. People live, unfortunately, and they tell me, I got saved back then, and they'll have it written down in the Bible or something. And I ask, how is that affecting you today? Well, it doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> in fact, if you were to line up a bunch of worldly people, and you would line up this person that's giving their testimony that at one point they put their faith in Christ, you would see no difference in their values. None. They only think earthly things. Their hope has no present force. 
And a perfect has a present force. It's something that happened in the past that affects. And the word is hope, so it anticipates something still future. What I believed in back then affects how I live today, anticipating something that will happen in the future. Is that how we live? Is that how we're processing our thoughts and what we're doing, anticipating something in the future, and so it affects us today? Many do not live that way. And that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to finish out this section, verses 13 and 14, that you've been sealed with, uh, by the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we see uh, in verse 13, in Him. Now, this in Him is kind of a, an important aspect uh, as we look at the flow of Paul's argument that he's making. It, 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 we see this, and you can take it in different ways. You could take it as a cause that because of you are in Him, you have these truths. But it's not really because of, rather it kind of talks about the sphere in which you are in. You are in Him. Uh, as God is working to the fullness that everything be put in Christ, as Him being the head and, and everything being under Him, both things in heaven, both things in earth, it's the sphere in which you are. You're placed in Him. In Him, we see this reality. In Him, you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having been uh, also believed, you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, as we look at this, Paul explained how they were in Christ. And the way he explains that they were in Christ, he uses two participles. Now, participles in, in Greek are kind of interesting because they, they have a verbal aspect to them, uh, an action, but then they also have a, an adjectival. They kind of describe something. And here, there's these two participles that are describing the Ephesians, two things that they are doing. The, the first one, as it says here in, in verse uh, 13, in him you also, after listening, listening or hearing, it, it carries the idea of not just perceiving sound with your ears, but it has this idea of comprehending, of understanding. How many times you can talk to someone and they can perceive what you're saying, but they're not understanding what you're saying, right? Uh, you always see, I don't know why this happens, but when Americans travel overseas and they can't communicate the first time, what do they do? They get louder, like that's going to help, like, like if there was an issue with the person's ears. It's not a loudness issue. It's, it's a not comprehending the English, this listening has this idea of not only perceiving information, but comprehending the implications of that information. And this is a, an active, which is describing them. They are listening to the point of comprehending. It's not something passive being done to them. Rather, they are the ones listening. Now, what are they listening to? It says the message of truth or the word of truth which is the, the content, the subject matter. And it's a subject matter that is truthful. It, it defines it by being truthful as opposed to something false. Now, we're bombarded with information all the time. Who knows if it's true or not? 
How do you know? We get, uh, you turn on the news, and the news just blabs and blabs and blabs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How much of it is true? I don't know. You have to investigate. You have to cor see if it corresponds to reality or not. You'd have to go and insert. And that's a lot of words that are getting said every single day, seven days a week, all year long. But this word, this message that they listened to and comprehended is a message of truth. What is that message of truth? It gets defined as the gospel of your salvation. Now, what is gospel? Uh, gospel is good news. The gospel is, is information that is beneficial to you. It's something that's, that's good for you. Something that you hear and, and um, you, you comprehend it and, and it's, you're like, wow, this was really good news for me. Specifically, it's gospel good news of salvation. Now, uh, this word salvation has two different connotations. One could be deliverance from something. So you're, um, you're in a prison camp, and you're arrested, and you're there, and somebody comes in, the special forces come in, and they deliver you out of there. They, they have saved you. Another way is uh, preservation. So uh, it, this isn't deliverance out of like that, but you're in a hurricane, and you're in this special vessel that can, can float through the hurricane, and you get to the other side of the storm, and you have been saved. You've been delivered from that. Both, both aspects are involved here that you are saved. You, hear, you heard this gospel message, this good news, that rescued you from a situation, because it says that Jesus redeemed us, but then it also delivers us for something future, God's inheritance, His inheritance. So both aspects are being involved here in this good news that you heard, or that they heard. Now, salvation from what? Is it some type of political distress they were going through? Like maybe there was some, uh, you know, a Caesar wanting to kind of uh, attack them and, and maybe some of their rights be taken away? Or it, was there some other group politically trying to get involved here and maybe take away some of the power of the Roman Empire? Or, or maybe they needed the good news of salvation because they were they were really suffering some type of inflation at the time. Milk being sold at $8 a, a gallon. And they thought, well, we need some good news. Inflation is about to pop. What, what is the good news of salvation that they're receiving? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, talks about, uh, by faith, we are saved and we're saving our souls. Now, this is something uh, important to think about your own soul. Uh, we are souls that have bodies. And uh, what happens to your soul? Are you a, a good soul that happens to be born and you're born into an environment and, and therefore you do bad things? Well, that's not what the Bible presents at all. The Bible presents a, a scenario where everybody is born sinful, and the wrath of God is placed upon your soul to be condemned for all eternity separate from Him. That, that is the condition of our soul. But there is a salvation being offered where you don't have to spend all eternity separate from God, but rather you can be in fellowship with Him. 
Now, as we look at this, they heard this gospel message. They heard this message of truth. And that leads us to our second participle. So the first participle is that they're listening. It describes them. They are listening. The second participle is believed. It has it having also believed. They were believing. Believing has this idea of finding something trustworthy or to entrust oneself in an entity completely, confidently. Some of you are confidently sitting in your chair to the point that you've dozed off and you're sleeping. You are so trustworthy of your chair that in no way, shape, or form you think it's going to give out on you. So you just rest and relax and you close your eyes. Don't snore. That'll be kind of annoying. But there you are. You're, you're there, just totally enthralled with your chair. You're trusting in it. This is what they've done. It's also an active participle. They are believing. They heard and comprehended, and they have put their trust in. They have put their faith in something. They believed it being as being true. Now, Paul tells the believers of an action that happened simultaneous. The way that participles work is that they end up modifying the main indicative verb of the sentence, which in this case is uh, the being sealed. You were sealed. Now, it's a different verb. This is a, a passive verb, so it's not that they sealed themselves. It's not like they, they heard and they believed and then they put a seal on, right? That's not the case at all. Rather, they're hearing and they're believing, and because of this, at the same time of their believing, they become sealed. It's not some future event that happens that if you have enough faith, you will eventually get sealed in the future, but rather, simultaneously, as they hear, they believe, they're sealed. This word seal carries the idea of, um, of putting a, um, a security measure. For example, it's used in Matthew chapter 27, verse 66, where you have um, the guards, they put a seal on the stone and uh, wanted to secure Jesus' body. Uh, they wanted to make sure he doesn't come out, you know, the, the, really keeping it secure. It, it, it's also used to, uh, uh, as a marker of identification. Uh, for example, in John chapter 3, verse 33, and 627, God has set his seal uh, uh, to authenticate Jesus' ministry. It, it's identifying that Jesus is belonging to God, that his message is in accordance with God's message. Uh, it's also used um, in a way to, um, to, to see if, if something is approved or not. Romans chapter 15, verse 28 uh, Paul said that he wanted to go inspect the fruit of the believers of Macedonia. He wanted to go look at their fruit and put his seal of approval on them. Now, uh, this seal that we see is, um, has a certain agent. Who's, who's doing this sealing? If we look at the verses here, in verse 13, it says, uh, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the sp holy part identifies this as being uh, not just any spirit, but one that is separate. Now, 
we have to kind of doctrinally develop who is this Holy Spirit because he just kind of mentions it here. And we might get this idea that maybe he's just talking about uh, something in the spiritual world. Maybe he's talking about a force. Uh, maybe he's talking about something that uh, is just kind of out there. Uh, what is this Holy Spirit? Well, let's just at this point define it contextually. We could define it theologically, and we would have to go through all of Scripture, and it would take us more than 15 minutes to be able to do that. So let's just focus contextually. What is this Holy Spirit? Well, if you look at what he is doing, um, you would see that he is sealing those people, people who are listening and people who are believing. He is sealing them. Which people? Just people in Ephesus? No. This Spirit, this Holy Spirit is sealing individuals who are, as it said, chosen, predestined, redeemed. Where? Before the foundation of the world. They are individuals that cross time and location. Now that's pretty impressive. To be able to seal people around the world as they are hearing and as they are believing this truth. Now you would have to be omnipresent to be able to do that, wouldn't you? You would have to be everywhere at once. And not only omnipresence, but you would have to be omniscient. Because in this, in this, you would have to be able to distinguish just between somebody who verbalizes a belief and someone who actually believes. Isn't there a difference? Well, of course there is. You ever been with a person where uh, you're giving them the gospel and they don't want to just tell you no, but you know, they're kind of tired of you sharing the gospel, and so they say, yes, I'll accept. What do I have to do? And, and they'll do whatever you tell them to do, and they say, all right, goodbye, you know, and never see them again. And the Spirit is, has to be able to distinguish between those. It's, he, he's omniscient. Uh, he, he's everywhere, and he knows everything. And this idea of, of keeping, of sealing, talks about his power. He has this power to be able to securely mark and identify these individuals. So it talks about being all-powerful in every place and knowing, being able to know all the intentions of the heart. Now, this spirit is different than God the Father, mentioned in verse 3, and different than Jesus Christ. So here in this one sentence that Paul is giving of praise to God. He mentions the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who seals the individual. Now, the Spirit's work of sealing is only found in three verses. This verse is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, where he says that the Spirit is sealing them uh, until the day of redemption. And then it's also found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 where they have uh, believed uh, in Christ, and God has established them in Christ and sealed them with the Spirit. Now what's interesting as we look at this is it says uh, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit, and then it says of promise. A promise. Promise is a declaration uh, to do something. Uh, an obligation. 
And we'd have to ask ourselves, when was the Spirit promised? At what point was the Spirit promised? Well, we could um, try to investigate that and, and go into several different passages. Uh, but let's just note, let's just note two passages. The first is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. The passage is talking about a time in the future. A future that uh, God will establish a, a new covenant and that Christ will be reigning. And in that time, uh, he was going to send out his spirit. And his spirit would, would uh, go upon all mankind. He was going to pour out his spirit and his spirit would be on all mankind. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, you remember that uh, there they are in Jerusalem they have been baptized into the body of Christ. They have the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues. And uh, Peter gets up and starts to preach. And at first there was the accusation that maybe they were drunk. Remember? And uh, he says, we're not drunk. And he alludes to what is happening as something that was already promised in Joel. And he uses the Joel chapter 2, uh, verses 28 through 29. So in that sense, the Spirit has been promised. There's another place where the Spirit has been promised, which is John chapter 16, 5 through 15. Jesus is talking about his need to, to depart, and they're sad. And he says, don't be sad, and it's, it's good for you for me to leave, because if I leave, I will send an advocate. And, and he talks about the, the, ministry, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, not only to convict of sin, but to to illumine individuals, to understand the believers so that they can understand and remember God's word. So here this, this spirit is promised. And at verse 14 now, it talks about, it says, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of the redemption of God, our, uh, God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This spirit becomes the deposit, the payment, uh, which is part of the, the purchase. It becomes the, the deposit. He, he is sealed us, and this has become the, the deposit. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is this figurative language, or is this actual reality? Uh, is there a spiritual mark in us somewhere. Uh, our, uh, our, uh, when we bring, there's potlucks and so forth, we put uh, on the bottom of the plate, on the platter, we put darling. There's not too many darlings here, and so people kind of know this is the darling platter, right? Um, is it, a, is it a, a mark that we have inside of us? Or is this the fact that the Spirit has given us life and therefore, that spiritual life is the down payment of a future reality that we're going to find. We could go around and around in circles and debate that for here until it happens, and we won't know exactly which way it is. But the fact is, is that you are sealed, and it's a down payment that you have. This, now, this down payment is of our inheritance, which we are the inheritance for God. And as it says... Paul includes himself, our inheritance. 
Now, this word inheritance is, is, is interesting. Uh, it, it can be used of salvation and what the child of God or what God is receiving, the people that he has chosen. It's interesting that word is used in Matthew chapter 21, 34 through, uh, sorry, 33 through uh, 44. And you remember the, the parable of the landowner. He uh, plants a vineyard, puts a wall around it, builds a tower, and rents it out to some people. They start to work it, and uh, he sends his servants to go collect. Uh, they beat up the servants and send them back. And, and so the landowner ends up sending his own son. And, and they say in the parable, let's kill him and take his inheritance. The silly notion that uh, they could somehow grab an inheritance by force. You don't get this inheritance by force. Uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees, what will happen to these people? He says, they'll send an army and destroy them for being wicked. And that's exactly, how do you get this? By force? No. By listening and believing, you get sealed. And you're given this pledge of inheritance. It, it happens in that order. You have that hope in Christ because you've listened and believed, then you're sealed. And you have this down payment for the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. As we look at that, we see that you were sealed with the Spirit. And Paul concludes this long, long praise that he gives to God, and it involves the whole Trinity. And the Ephesian believers, they, they would have understood two points. That hearing the truth allowed them to believe and to be sealed with the Spirit. And that the Spirit guarantees you to be God's inheritance. Now, I want to apply this in just two ways. Hearing the truth allows people the opportunity to believe. People are not going to get saved because they see that your car is super clean. They're like, why is his car so clean? I want to put my faith in whatever he's putting his faith in. No, it doesn't happen like that. People will believe because they'll hear a message. How, how will they confess? Because there will be a preacher that is sent to go preach. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. How will they believe? because somebody has to go tell them. The idea that I'm going to cut my lawn just perfectly, and that will reflect the love of God, it doesn't happen that way. People will believe because they hear. And preaching the gospel gives them that opportunity. The vast majority will say, no, thank you. And that's fine. But hearing the truth allows them the opportunity to believe for salvation. The other point that I think is really important here is that your salvation is about God's glory. It, it, it's not really about you. And I know that sounds harsh, but, but it's not. You, you are God's inheritance. It, many individuals live wondering if they've lost their salvation. Wondering if they've done something that now, at this point, they, they definitely are not saved. But salvation is not about you and you saving yourself. It, it's to the glory of God. It mentions it over and over again, three times, to the praise of His glory. 
He, he mentions it in verse uh, 6 uh, to, to the praise of His glory. He mentions it uh, again in verse 12. And then again in 14, to the praise of His glory. This salvation is for God's glory. He is the one that chose. We are His inheritance. And He's not going to lose His inheritance. And can you imagine? Where, where's, where's Carlitos? Oh man, I've misplaced Carlitos. I mean, he was supposed to be my inheritance, but he's taken off somewhere. Oh well. That doesn't happen. Jesus talks about his sheep. His sheep hear his voice. Does Jesus lose a sheep? Not at all. It go wandering off that way. What does he do? He goes off and grabs it. And then the next day it goes off the other way. What does he do? He goes and grabs it because salvation is about God's glory. And it's not about us. We, we receive the blessing of that. The, the idea that God could lose one of his own is absurd. Now, as we think about that, it gives you a security. And it gives you a, a security to think about God's glory and how he is saving you. And I want to apply this in just one more area. If we are saved for his glory, we should live for his glory. We should live for his glory. Back a while back, they used to have the WWJD, what would Jesus do? But a good filter to live by life is, will this glorify God? Many individuals get distracted with good. They live good lives, and their good lives distract them from living a life that will glorify God. There's two things that will distract you from living a life that glorifies God. The first is a pursuit after new. A pursuit after new will distract you from living a life that glorifies God. You'll wake up in the morning thinking, I need this new, I want this new, I have to try to acquire this new, and you'll always be distracted from living a life that glorifies God because you'll always be thinking about this new, whatever it is, new church, new pastor, new dress. I, I need this new phone. I need this new car. I need this new house. And you'll pursue new, new, new. It won't be anything bad. It won't be anything that the Word of God says, do not do this. But you'll pursue that new thing to the expense of not glorifying God. Another thing that will distract you from living a life that glorifies God is, is now. I need it now. I want it now. It happens with ministers. Ministers will look at the work of another pastor that has spent 30, 40 years, and they say, I want that now. A young married couple will will look at what their parents have worked all their lives to acquire, and they say, I want that house and that car, and I want those things now. Now distracts many people. Remember Joseph when he had that dream about having the people bow down? When would he have wanted that? Oh, he probably would have wanted it now, don't you think? especially when he was at Potiphar's house serving, especially when he was in prison 
serving. He's like, I, I could really use this now. You get distracted from living a life that glorifies God in the pursuit of now. You do. God doesn't work in now. He takes time to develop character. He takes time to develop sanctification. He takes time to mold us into the image of Christ. And if you pursue new and you pursue now, you'll live a good life that does not glorify God. What a shame that would be. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we consider this passage that's to the praise of you. Father, you chose us. Your Son redeemed us. Your Spirit sealed us. Thank you, Father. I pray that, that we'll understand the depths of these benefits, of these blessings, that it will impact our lives so much that we'll live for your glory. Father, we are saved for your glory, and I pray that we will live daily for your glory. Father, there might be someone here that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, and they cannot live for your glory because they're living for themselves. I pray, Father, that today at the invitation that they'll come forward and that they'll put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray for those of us who are saved. Let us not get distracted and new. Let us not get distracted with now. But I pray, Father, that we'll live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand?